0: Hello and welcome to the July edition of The Law Down, the CM Murray podcast where we discuss the law behind the news. Um, My name is Beth Hale, I'm a partner at CM Murray and I'm here with my brilliant colleagues, Wanu Sander, who's a senior associate in the team, and Sophie Rothwell, who is an associate. Um, We've got a few things to discuss today, um, largely around sort of family-friendly policies and um, introducing changing family-friendly policies um, for employers, by employers for their employees. Firstly, we're going to talk about pregnancy loss policies, which we've seen quite a lot of being introduced recently. Then we're going to talk about what's known as the childcare disparity and the, the burden that women bear for childcare responsibilities. And next, we're going to talk about some um, law firms and other businesses introducing sort of progressive benefits. So things like egg freezing and those kinds of um, benefits to, for their employees. So, Wana, do you would you like to start just talking us through the sort of pregnancy loss policies that we've seen recently and what what the implications might be for, for employers and for employees? Yeah, so um, it's been
1: quite nice, actually, to see that these policies have been introduced and um, what they are supposed to cover um, is to provide leave to uh, parents or you know, would, be, would have been parents have suffered um, a pregnancy loss and that could have been in a number of ways so it includes um, stillbirths abortions or uh, miscarriages Um, and the reason why I think it's it's quite interesting and progressive is that at the moment under UK statutory law there isn't that sort of benefit that's available Um, the only benefits that are available for parental bereavement um, is for the death of a child who's under the age of
0: 18 um it does include a stillbirth you get, sorry you do get i was about you you may have been about to say this apologies for interrupting you but you do get um maternity leave for a stillbirth after 24 weeks after 24 weeks that's right that's <laughs> yeah that's what i was going to say um yeah you do
1: get that after 24 weeks of pregnancy um, and then you're entitled to the same statutory sort of maternity paternity leave and pay that you would have had it had the stillbirth um, not happened. Um, but where the loss occurs before 24 weeks, there was no benefits or, or protection in those cases. And obviously, employers did have the discretion to offer some sort of leave, maybe compassionate leave or um, offer that the, that the employee take unpaid leave. Um, But having a policy around it, I think, is definitely a step forward, because for those people who are going through these sorts of things, um, they don't have to rely on a sort of ad hoc policy being applied at the time, and they're able to have something that they can go and rely on in what would be undeniably a very
0: difficult time really importantly a lot of these policies have included partners of people who've suffered pregnancy loss so i think it demonstrating a real recognition of the of the fact that pregnancy loss can be difficult for everybody involved it's not just a physical um loss for the for the pregnant woman but there are also you know partners will also be obviously affected and so the, most of yeah. those these cover them as well which i think is a really um sort of forward-thinking way of looking at it and it's also yeah. worth saying, miscarriage is incredibly common and so under talked about. And I, think, I, think I think it's one in four women. I think. Yeah, I'd be surprised if it wasn't more. I mean, I think it, people just don't talk about it in the in the way that you think they might, and um, without wanting to get into too personal, too too many personal issues. I had a miscarriage before I had either of my children, and. As soon as you do start talking about it, everyone goes, oh, yeah, I've had a miscarriage too. Oh, gosh, I've had a miscarriage too. And you just, you know, it's just something that people aren't open about and should be, I think. So the fact that employers are recognising these kinds of things is just really important, I think. Which employers are having introduced them? So,
1: so far, um, some of the major ones have been Monzo, the um, challenger banking app, Channel 4, who are offering two weeks paid leave. Um, and a law firm, actually, uh, Kingsley Napley, um, who are also offering leave, um, I think it's of 13, 13 days? Paid, I think. Paid, yes, it is paid. Um, and that, that's the difference in that, you know, if there isn't provision for it, there could be a lot, a bit of confusion at the time as to what the individual's entitled to. They may be forced to take their own sick leave. Um, some people may decide not to take leave, of course, but the fact that the provision is there... I think is a is a really good thing and as you say um part of what needs to be happening really is just making the discussion easier and being open about it and having a policy on it is is one step in that direction employers could also bother things so they could try and raise awareness by sharing information with employees and signpost them to support services they could train managers so that they can spot the signs of somebody that might need support If they didn't want to have a whole other policy, they could look at their other um, policies maybe around compassionate leave as well. Um, But having, you know, as I say, having something specific, I think is definitely a step in the right direction. particularly as we are having more conversations nowadays and being much more open about um, mental health and wellness and the impacts that things that may happen outside the workplace will inevitably be having on people in the workplace.
2: I think also what is really important for the policy is to... Be clear on is at what point a pregnancy loss has has taken place because there's a lot of um blurriness around um at what point you know it becomes the loss of a pregnancy um mm. and i think that's a really delicate issue that would need to be carefully considered but um by any employer offering those policies.
0: I yeah. agree and I think the other thing to think about is that people who um suffer pregnancy loss often actually don't really want to tell their employer because they don't want to have their kind of um, plans, their hopes and plans sort of on the table in that kind of way. They don't want people to be then constantly watching them to go, well, she's obviously going to get pregnant. So we won't, you know, we won't put her forward for this project or we won't. And so sort of it's revealing those plans in a way that I think if you have a a policy, which allows you to just go to HR and say, right, I need to take this time off. I think it, it, it facilitates that process. And, obviously employers need to be aware that um, they should not then base any decisions on the fact that someone has suffered a pregnancy loss or on the fact that they may subsequently get pregnant again but it's just it it sort of increases that kind of transparency and that's not to say that everybody ought to be you know that people ought to be sharing with all their colleagues that that's what's happened it's obviously a very personal issue Mm -hmm. but it just facilitates those conversations I think. Completely agree Um, and I think that takes us on to a sort of another
1: family friendly issue that's been in the news recently, which is uh, around a a recent case um, in the employment tribunal. And this was uh, a case to do with a nurse who worked fixed days in Cumbria. She worked for an NHS trust and the NHS Trust was trying to introduce flexible working um, for employees, and um, wanted them to work on some weekends. A nurse had other childcare responsibilities, and she wasn't able to work on weekends. And as a result, she was dismissed. Um, and she took her employers to the Employment Tribunal. She claimed unfair dismissal and indirect discrimination. The Tribunal, she was surprisingly. Unsuccessful. The tribunal did accept that the new requirement for flexible working was equally applied to both men and women. And they said that they hadn't been shown any evidence um, that she'd been put at a particular disadvantage, which is the um, indirect discrimination test that she would have had to meet. Um, so she took that case to the em- Employment Appeal Tribunal, who rightly, I think, allowed the appeal and said that women bear the greater burden. Of childcare responsibilities, caring responsibilities, than men and that can limit their ability to work certain hours, for example the flexible hours that was being required by the NHS Trust. And the president of the EAT called this the childcare disparity um, and said that it was something that the employment tribunal should take into account in in indirect discrimination cases. And I think Definitely a step forward. It's something I think most people probably thought was the case anyway. That it's taking it as read um, that women bear most of the child-caring burden. But, but having that decision, the EAT, will now make it much easier, I think, for women who maybe through the pe- because of the pandemic or um, because of the changes in in the workplace and the the prevalence of sort of flexible working or changing the uh, arrangements of working will now be able to rely on that. How do you think that this case is going to impact on employers and the way that they arrange their uh, staff and flexible
0: working? I think it's just really important, and I think many employers would have been doing this anyway, right? But I think just to take into account that Applying something neutrally. Remember that applying something neutrally to everybody does not mean it's not discriminatory because you have the indirect sex discrimination, the indirect discrimination um, provisions, which mean that even if something is applied neutrally, if it impacts unfairly, like, disproportionately on one category of person, then it can still be discriminatory. And secondly, just that not having to prove it. It get, it takes a hurdle out of the way of women trying to bring in direct discrimination claims which just so that they don't have to statistically prove that women bear the lion's share of childcare, and they don't have to t- statistically prove that they are therefore impacted and that they personally bear the lion's share of childcare in their in their particular arrangements um i think a lot of employers as i say have taken that as read in any event um but i think it's really important just to have that absolutely clarified i mean i guess a real step forward would be when that childcare disparity no longer exists, and we we get an EAT decision which says actually women and men there are statistics to show that women and men share the childcare equally. I think you know we're a long way from that, aren't we? Yeah,
1: perhaps maybe those that will change from the change that the shift that we're seeing because of the uh, home working and um, openness. I think to flexible working, although it wasn't apparent in this case, it, it kind of went the other way in that that flexibility meant that she'd have to work on the weekends, but. Um, I think the flexibility that some people have had to uh, work from home, work different days, has meant that I th- maybe not right now, but in a, in a few years' time, should it continue, we may see a greater shift in that direction, where the childcare responsibilities isn't just upon women.
0: Yeah, I think there's a argument to be had, isn't it? I think we it remains to be seen i think there's been a real gendered impact of the pandemic and i think there's a lot of evidence to back that up i think there is a possibility of a positive to come out of that which is that flexible working will stop being a gendered issue and that people who over the last 16 18 months have seen a real benefit in flexible working um men included will start to see the, the benefits of that and will make you know will we'll continue to work flexible and that, that will stop becoming a gendered issue, but it could go the other way. And what we might see is actually that it is the it, you know, it remains the case that the women is, it's predominantly women asking for permanent flexible working patterns. And, and so I think we just have to kind of watch this space on that, it'd be really nice if that, if that was a positive to come out of the pandemic.
2: I think there is, um, there's there's a, a cultural shift taking place as well. Cause um, you know, I'm in my late twenties and I've got a lot of male friends who are, you know Open about being a stay at home dad or you know, splitting the childcare and taking a step back and not being the main breadwinner. So, I think it will definitely continue to to change with the times as people in the younger generations, you know, begin to take those more senior positions. Um, I think company is going to have no choice but to really
1: adapt. I think that's right. I hope you're right. Yeah, me too. Uh, talking about um, companies adapting, that's our next story um, about egg freezing benefits and companies who've been introducing that. Um, and Sophie, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that story?
2: Yeah, thanks, Swanee. So um, there's a US um, law firm called uh, Cooley, um, and they have recently announced that they'll be offering um, £45,000 as a financial benefit to all um, their UK staff for um, fertility treatment, uh, which includes surrogacy and egg freezing. Um, And I think this is a really thought-provoking um step to have taken and um again really reflects what's going on in society because you know a lot of women are not so keen to begin starting families um you know in their late 20s and when they're at their most technically fertile and it's definitely uh, on the face of it, appears to be offering um, much greater choice to women by allowing them to, you know, delay motherhood until um, a time later on in their career, meaning that they can focus on, you know, making career progress in their 20s and 30s rather than having to take significant periods of time out. But then also, I think it's got to be treated very carefully because, and with caution, because there's no guarantee with IVF and egg freezing and you know delaying any decision to have a family could you know it isn't necessarily going to give you a successful pregnancy in the end or um or you know a successful adoption or anything like that so it does make you question really how much it helps female progression in reality um and perhaps as well you know could those costs equally be offered towards nursery fees so that women um aren't perhaps so encouraged to delay uh, starting a family or d- delay their biology in favour of their career but yes it's, it's an interesting topic because on the one hand you can see how it offers choice to women but then on the other hand um, is it giving the message that you know women should put biology
1: on hold and um, for for our careers I think that's a, a good point about that balance between offering some sort of uh, benefit support that will allow women to stay in the workplace longer because there is that key period where women start a family, um, and it's in that time that they lose the ability to maybe work up the ranks and um, be represented in in sort of on the senior boards and in management. and for employers, maybe they will see these, this sort of policy as a way to avoid that sort of loss in the middle. But I think a, a good point that you raise is whether or not having that on its own is really enough, or whether or not employers should really be looking at, I guess, a suite of um, supportive policies that could help women to stay in, in the workplace, um, and that could include, you know, childcare um, vouchers um, within the office
0: itself, crash, you know, crash spaces, and I think that is what coolly have done to be fair to them that they are offering a suite a package of, of benefits including paid parental leave to mothers and their partners they're offering a, a sort of broader suite of document of um, poly, of benefits it's Ooh. often the thing that, gets, that grabs the headlines but I actually that what so, yeah. and there are other law firms who put in place similar, similar schemes and similar benefits and I think it's partly about managing that message isn't it and saying actually what we're offering to staff is choice and we're saying however you do this we support you so whether you you know whatever route and coolly talk about so they support all paths to parenthood and I think that's quite a good way of putting it it's just you know yeah. whatever your life is we support you and you you know you can get these benefits so it's it is about as you rightly say sort of offering choice offering a suite of benefits which support people in whatever choices they make
2: yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with you on the messaging point, because, you know, provided there's no um, messaging around it being used to delay pregnancy or, um, or, or you know, putting age limits um, related to the benefit access, then, you know, it's hard not to see how it's you know going to be incredibly helpful for all its staff that might need to make use of it whether they're a man or a woman or whether they're in a same-sex relationship um you know if it extends to adoption as well as surrogacy and also um for those that have the those that aren't delaying pregnancy and are just struggling naturally um to to get pregnant um irrespective of whether they've waited till later point in their lives you know to have that help with um those fertility issues which can be really um you know emotionally draining they can cause depression you know people could be signed off work for extended periods of time because of the financial burdens involved with you know going through the IVF cycle and everything so um definitely think the messaging is is key so that everyone is aware that it's for all and not just associated with delaying um delaying pregnancy.
0: Absolutely. I mean I think that, that when Google I think quite a long time ago first said that they were offering egg freezing as a as a staff benefit it did get really really mixed reactions and a lot of people were like well basically what you're saying is everyone has to put their lives on hold so that they can keep working for you. But I think actually provided it's done properly and sensibly and it does as you say form part of a bigger wider suite of benefits i think it, you know offering people choice and supporting people in those choices is is a positive
2: yeah and i think something as well that employers probably need to be really careful about in any policy documentation that they do provide with the associated benefit um is um about whether they there's any liability um in the event that IVF or a surrogacy etc isn't successful because it's it wouldn't be sensible or fair for an employer to have that liability but it does perhaps you know highlight the need for appropriate education to be provided in addition to the benefit itself so that employees are aware of the risks and um, understand that there you know isn't going to be a guaranteed successful outcome and that is just something that I think employers should be very um, wary of
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think just sort of thinking about how to um, manage, how to how to communicate the policy, how to manage the process and and also being aware of the surrounding law on. Um, I mean, we're not experts in sort of fertility law, but there are really strict limits on payments for surrogacy in this country and think what you can and can't pay for. So just employers need to be fully informed on what they're what they're funding and to make sure that they're not crossing those lines. I think that was all we were going to discuss today. So thanks, Sophie and Wanu. Really great to chat. Um, And one of these days we'll record one of these in person and we can all be in the same room, which will be really nice. So thank you everyone for listening and see you next time.